0: Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 42, Isaiah, the 42nd chapter, we're going to start in the 13th verse. I, I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version today. Don't read out of that version much, but I like the way it says this. Is everybody there? Say amen. All right. It says, The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I tell you what, Rocky can tell us how winning is done, but God shows us. Ain't that right? Last week we started a new series entitled, anybody remember? Moving forward, you paid attention, way to go. A new series entitled Moving Forward. And so today's message is entitled Momentum. Momentum. So if you're filling out your sheets, I think that's usually the first question is what's today's message title. Last week I, I told a duck hunting story, you remember that? How I tried to cross the bow with my waders and didn't work out so well. Well today I'm gonna tell another duck hunting story didn't even work out that good. <laughs> this duck hunting story, I didn't even get out the truck, didn't even load my shotgun. I don't know what's wrong with me. But I was probably about sixteen years old. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh I had this old hand-me-down truck from my grandpa I was driving in, and uh I was searching the back roads in the Mississippi Delta, trying to find a couple puddles where there might be some ducks, you know, that I might shoot at. And uh, I was on this gravel road going out in the middle of nowhere, you know, looking. And and I got to a place where the water, it was like a dip in the road, and the water was coming out of the muddy bean field and was flowing over the road. There were several potholes and stuff. And I was thinking, yeah, (laughs) because that's what country boys do. They want to get in the mud, right? Now, see, my dad, he had this big old four-wheel drive, and I was used to him just plowing right through it. But I was saying, I wonder if this two-wheel drive (laughs) will get through there. And so I stopped, and I went and looked at it and dipped my toe in it, and I was thinking, I don't know how deep it is under there. And, you know, in my lightning-fast 16-year-old mind, I'm thinking, I need some momentum. So I backed up. Pretty good piece. And I said, if I hit that thing fast enough, even if it's mud under there, I figure I'll go right on across. So I run, I, got, I was probably going, I don't know, doesn't sound like much, but 30 or 35 when you hit a puddle on a <laughs> gravel road. Anyway, there was this law in action that I, I had no idea about. It's called hydroplaning. <laughs> and I didn't know what that was, but when I got up on top of that water, I started to go in a different direction than my steering wheel wanted to go. And it slid me way out in that muddy bean field. I mean way out in that muddy, drenched bean field until I just boom, bogged down completely. And I gave it gas, and I heard the wheels spinning, and I heard the engine revving up, but I wasn't moving nowhere. <laughs> wheels was just a spinning. I put it in reverse. And the more I pushed on the gas, The further I was sinking down, (laughs) I had lost momentum. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Maybe you've lost momentum. You've got off track. You've left the paved road, so to speak, and you found yourself spinning your tires. Say bogged down. Bogged Bogged down. down. What is momentum? Well, momentum, I got a couple definitions to be exact, strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events. So your motion causes momentum, but also it could be a series of events that begins to cause momentum in your life. But the second one is uh, the amount of force a moving body has because of its weight and the speed in which it's moving, momentum. Momentum is also a moving force that overcomes resistance. You know there's resistance to moving forward, right? We don't just get there by accident. You've got to overcome some resistance. And the fourth one is the power residing in a moving object. But you notice it's not power residing in an unmoving object. The power is in a moving object. John Maxwell says, when you have no momentum, even the simplest task can seem to be insurmountable problems. Have you experienced that? Just getting up in the morning. You mean I got to get off the couch? (laughs) You know, you mean I got to go to work again? Is it Monday already? But when you have momentum on your side, he says, the future looks bright. Obstacles appear small and trouble just seems temporary. Have you experienced that? When things are going your way, when you feel like you've got things moving in the right direction. But it's that initial surge to get momentum going is the tough part, to get the ball rolling. Because an object that's sitting still tends to sit still. And that was something, I, I remember that from high school somewhere, maybe even junior high. What does it say? Yeah, an object in motion continues to stay in motion. So I, I didn't pass that class. But, but, but I would think with my lightning fast mind, if that, it would be the same case, uh, uh, an object sitting still would tend to stay still unless I've acted on by an outside force, which may be your will, you know. So have you ever seen two teams having a tug of war and they're trying to pull each other in the muddy pit? And they start out and if they're pretty equally matched, you know, they're tugging and, and they're getting down and they're doing everything they can to get as much strength. But at first it's like that little flag, just maybe moving an inch this way, moving an inch this way, and it's not going either direction. But if one team can just get a little momentum, if somebody puts put their weight into it, it seemed like in no time that other team's hit the mud. They created some momentum. About five or six years ago. It might have been longer than that. How long we had that pool in the backyard? About five or six years. We had a pool put in the backyard. And our backyard is kind of like on a slant, but we found a level place to put the pool. But we were concerned about the drainage, about the water pooling up and maybe overflow in the pool or getting up against the house, you know. And I'm thinking, man, we're going to have to have drainage ditch here. We're going to have to put something over here with major drainage problems, you know, it But the guy that put the pool in came over with one of those earth movers. (laughs) And uh, he just rounded everything off. There was no ditches. It was just gradual slopes. And even though it was just a gradual slope, I'm thinking water's got to be in a ditch. You know, it's got to be going straight down. No. Rainwater comes from back our house and just goes right down the gentle slope by itself. It just needs a little bit is what I'm saying. Just a little bit of momentum can keep you from flooding your backyard. A lot of us are drowning because we have no momentum. So, today I thought I'd share with you seven ways that we can keep from getting bogged down in our life. I don't know why seven is, you know, we only got 40, 45 minutes. I mean, we could... There's probably a million things, but these are the seven that came to me. And then after that, I'm going to tell you four ways that we can create some positive momentum. But you got to stop the negative pull. Something is pulling you back, you know. There's an enemy out there, and he's trying to hold you down. And so you got to get strong enough and be wise enough to not fall for his tricks and learn how to get up and get moving forward. The first thing... And I don't know why I did this, but as I wrote them down, I just started thinking of like boat terminology. So, excuse me. But set sail back to Jesus. Repent and pray. Because if you're in a backslidden state, you're not right with God. All your momentum is going in the wrong direction. You can have all the momentum in the world, but if it's going to Detroit and you're trying to go to Nashville, guess what? You're going to Detroit. Even if you want to go to Nashville. So the first thing you got to do is just get right with God. You remember King Hezekiah? He was a pretty good king. But all of a sudden, he became deathly ill. And he was like, go get Isaiah for me. same Isaiah we just read out of. Go get Isaiah the prophet. See if if God will heal me. And Isaiah came and said, Hezekiah, God told me you better get your affairs in order. This is it for you. Now, how many would have just said, okay, that's the way it is. But Hezekiah did something completely weird, unmanly, something you don't see kings do, you know, prideful kings that sit on thrones. Hezekiah was laying in his sickbed, and he listened to the message, and Isaiah left, and it says he turned to the wall. I don't know why he turned to the wall, but maybe some of us in here need to turn to the wall. And he began to cry out, Jesus. Well, he didn't say Jesus because Jesus wasn't revealed to the New Testament. But God, remember the good things I did, Lord. You know, I did some things, you know. Have mercy on me. And he began to weep bitterly. And he just humbled himself before God. And I'm not talking about some mamby-pamby prayer. Well, God, you know, if you could do this and this and this like we do. James 5:16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, when are we going to get fervent? I'm fervent about the Lord. I don't know about you, but I believe this stuff that I'm preaching. And if I'm not right with God, I'm fervent about it. I will cry. I will weep. I will be like Peter. I will go out and weep bitterly if I've hurt the Lord. Because I really love him. There's real emotions tied to my Christianity. And so, in this case, he wasn't ready to quit living yet. So he turned to the Lord. He repented. Some of us need to repent and pray. That's the... That's got to be the first thing you got to do so that you can at least know what direction you want to go. The second thing I said was throw off your useless baggage. You know, you don't see marathon runners running with a big heavy coat on and long pants and all these things. They're trying to be as light as they can to run their race. They want to be free. we got to throw off all the useless baggage if we're going to get moving in the right direction. The Bible calls them weights and sins. Weights and sins will bog you down. I was thinking about what are some of the weights and sins. You know, we could spend a whole series here, but we're not, you know, this is just number two. But I was just thinking of a few quick ones that that the Lord put on my heart. The spirit of offense. It's a big one. How many of you had the job that you wanted to be in? But because the boss did this or said this, you got offended and the devil started talking in your ear. And next thing, he's building that offense up to the point you just can't work there no more. You used to go to this church, but somebody said something to you. The pastor didn't look you in the eye when he said hello or something. He always does that to me. You know, and you started building it up in your mind. And we can have all these scenarios going in our own mind. And the devil is just, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what he did. He didn't look at you at all. And you get this spirit of offense. How many destinies have been ruined over this one little bitty offense that wasn't nothing at all? The person probably didn't even know they did it to you. But I'm not saying every offense is little. There are major offenses. People really do hurt you. People really do do you wrong. But even so, that brings me to my next point. We've got to be forgiving. We've got to let go of unforgiveness when we can't forgive those who have hurt us. You know, we're not saying you got to get back in a relationship with them and let them hurt you again or anything like that. I'm just saying, but you've you got to learn to forgive just as God for our sakes or God, Christ's sakes forgave us. Unforgiveness will eat you up inside, like a poison you're drinking, trying to hurt somebody else that don't even know you drank it. May not even know that you have ought against them. So you won't leave the harbor. (coughs) Excuse me. With unforgiveness, there's boat terms. You get to harbor. If you harbor forgiveness, (laughs) I just try to throw something in there. You know. A couple more I was thinking of off the top of my head. Laziness. I mean, just good old-fashioned laziness. (laughs) You're not where you're supposed to be because you're too lazy to get up and do something. Too lazy to get out of bed. You have become unfaithful. And your character suffers. Because you can't be trusted to be where you're supposed to be. Because your flesh is ruling. You're moored by your flesh. And another thing is impatience. These are just character traits. I'm just throwing some out just to get us thinking about what are the things. If I don't name your thing, that's fine. You, You know your thing. But what about impatience or something like that? You know, you've been... I've been trying that tithing thing, and it's supposed to open the windows of heaven, but it's been three months, and I ain't seen nothing come in. And so you dig up your seed, and you eat it, instead of giving it time to grow. Impatience will hold you back. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, I believe there's a huge crowd of witnesses in heaven to get a chance to get a glimpse of what we're doing down here, our, our loved ones that's going on. But I also believe, look around at your job. There's a huge crowd of witnesses watching your life of faith to see if this is real. So since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance or you could say patience, the race that God has set before. See, there's a race. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like one who runs, but but I'm just good to come in sixth place, you know. I want to run to win. I want to be able to, 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 I want a trophy to lay at the Lord's feet and say, look what I did for you. I want to be pleasing to my Savior. The third thing is don't anchor yourself to the past. Don't anchor yourself to the past. You all know somebody that has a rough past, and they just don't feel like they can serve the Lord. I can't go to church because you don't know what I've done and and how I've lived and all this. And I'm no good to the Lord, and and they're lit. You know that's their past. They they never can get forward momentum to change their future because they're moored to the past. But also, people, some people, you know, like. Like that guy on a, oh my, I should just, Napoleon Dynamite movie where he couldn't get past, he he wanted a quarterback back in, you know, he wanted to go back to 1980 something. Some people do something great. They win a state championship or something and it's a great thing that happened in their past but they're living in the past. They can't move forward because they're so concerned about how the good old days were. So whether things have happened good whether they've happened bad in your past you've got to let go so that you can swing on to the future wouldn't it seem silly I remember that illustration of the tight what's the guys that's swing on the things in the circuit, trapeze artists wouldn't it seem silly if they got over there and, and was supposed to reach and grab the other one and keep going but they would just swing back every time <laughs> they never let go of the past so they could grab a hold of the future and keep moving. What's the title of this series? Moving forward, we're talking about how we're going to do in 2018. Learn from the past, but don't live in it. Number four, whew, steer a different course with your mouth. Oh, we're our own worst enemies sometimes. Sometimes. The Bible says in James that our tongue is like a rudder to a ship. It's a little bitty thing in the back of the ship, but it turns that whole ship. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, I'm not talking about some New Age baloney, blab it and grab it stuff, and and that, you know, positive faking or whatever. I'm talking good old-fashioned biblical principles, speaking God's Word, creating biblical hope in your life, thinking on things whatsoever are lovely, things that strengthen our joy, knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Encouraging one another in the Lord. So much more as we see the day approaching. Speaking those things out. Calling those things which be not as though they were like our Father did. Don't don't create a world for yourself with your words that you don't want to live in. Say what you want to do. Say what you can do through the Lord. It will create a new attitude, and in turn, it will create a new altitude. Number five, chart a course for Jesus. Eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, because wherever you're looking is typically where you're going to end up going. When I first started dating Angie, you know, she was a new driver at the time. Boy, I'd be sitting in the passenger seat, and she'd be driving. She'd say, hand me that makeup bag, and we'd be off on the side of the road. I'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. She'd say, look at that horse over there. You're in the middle of the lane. You know, get over. But if something happens where your eyes, where your focus is, is where the direction you're going. That's why God told Abraham, as far as you can see, I will give it to you. The eyes are the window of your soul. And if your eyes be full of light, if you're looking at good things, you're looking at promising things, then you're going to move into them. But it says if your eyes be dark, then your whole body is full of darkness. What are you allowing into your eye gates that's planting in your heart and causing weeds that are holding you, bogging you down? You can't grow any fruit because you got weeds that's come through your eye gates that are bogging your heart down. You got to look on the Lord. Psalms 101.3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I ain't turning aside. I got somewhere to be in the Lord. I hate when people turn aside. I'm not going to look on unclean things. They're not going to cleave to me. Number six. Tune your ears to the captain's voice. Bible says that we shall know his voice, right? He's a good shepherd. We know his voice. The voice of a stranger, we're not going to follow. But too many of us are, are letting... It could be people. could be demons. I don't know. What, what voices are you hearing? I'm not hearing them. You're hearing them. What are you dealing with? But I can tell you voices are coming at us all. And we've got to cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. You've got you to know what you're thinking on and what you're listening to. Don't let anybody talk you out of your calling. It could be your parents. It could be your children, your best friend. You don't want to do that. You couldn't do that. It would cost too much money, this, this. And they're just steadily talking negative about what the seed God planted in your heart to do. And it does seem impossible typically when God asks us to do something. And so other people are not going to understand. You might just need to learn to be quiet. Not tell everybody your business. Remember Joseph? He had a dream that God, his brothers, was going to bow down before him. He should have just kept it to himself. <laughs> but it came to pass because he stayed with it, and he kept listening. Galatians 5, 7 says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he's the one who called you to freedom. That's what he's calling you to. What voice are you listening to? And number seven, steady as she goes. Isn't that a nautical term of some sort? I was thinking about that. Keep moving forward. Keep, keep facing the direction you want to go. Steady as she goes. If you look at the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, you don't see one piece of armor that covers your rear end. You know why? Because God's not expecting you to hightail it the other way and run from your calling. He's expecting you, He He knows the armor will do its job unless you turn. You got the breastplate of righteousness, you got your helmet of salvation, you got the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, your Shoes of God spreading the gospel of peace. Your loins girt about with the truth. You've got everything you need. Stand in the battle. Don't hightail around and turn from your calling. So, the Lord, he'll fight for you if you just decide to move forward. That's what we're talking about this year. we got to trust God. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you the victory. Your job is just to stay in the fight. Keep moving forward. So now we've we've gotten to the point where we're going to talk about how to gain forward traction. I considered most of, excuse me, if I hadn't shaken any of your hands this morning like I normally do. I'm sorry. Uh, you're probably you're probably glad, you uh, know. I'm catching my healing right now. Uh. Four ways, and like I said, there could be a million ways, but there's four ways that I saw that we can gain some traction. Keep those wheels from just spinning and getting them moving in a forward direction. Let's turn to Philippians 3 13. This is going to cover a a couple of things that I've already mentioned. Philippians three thirteen. No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I, none of us have arrived yet, amen? We ain't got there. And like Brother Tom says, if, if you thought you got there and you, you stopped for a minute, you'd be sliding backwards. You'd lose your momentum. We're, like we talked about last week, if you're going up the mountain, you've got to keep going. You don't camp on the side of the mountain. You'll slide back down. No, brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus. Say focus. Number one is get yourself some focus. Get yourself some focus. I focus on this one thing. Some of us are focusing on 27,000 things, and we're so scattered, like we talked about last week, that we're not accomplishing anything. Focus on this one thing, forgetting (coughs) the past. We talked about that, right? Looking forward, right? We talked about that. To what lies ahead? And it says, I press. Notating expended energy. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Square that armor up, my friend. And press forward. Get yourself some focus. Know where you're headed. As individuals... And as a church, we must do this. Focus on what God has called us to do. How many watched the Titans play the Chiefs last night? Anybody? Playoff game? You know, I always pick the home team, so I'm a Titans fan. Man, it started out bad. At halftime, the Titans were down 21-3. to 3. This is the playoff game now. This is lose and go home. And this is the first time they've been in a playoffs since like 2003, so I was excited to watch them. They're down 21-3. to three. I'm like, wow, we waited, what, 14 years for this? But then they came out in the second half and completely shut down the Chiefs that they couldn't stop in the first half, and they scored 19 more points to give them a 22-21 to 21 victory. What a comeback. A totally different team in the first half than it was in the second half. And at the end of the game, I don't remember what player they were talking to, but they was interviewing him and said, what did your coach say at halftime? <laughs> he said, that, well, they didn't say much. They just said, keep doing what we know to do. He said, focus, each, I need the defense, I need each one on the defense to focus on their job. Focus on what they're called to do. See, what happened was the team came out, and they hit them with some plays they weren't expecting, got some touchdowns, and they started panicking, and everybody's trying to make a big play, and everybody's running all over the place, and they forgot to focus on their particular job. I don't know if you know about football, but every position has things that they're called to do, and that's the way we are as a church. Every person in here is called to do something different than everybody else. But when we all come together, we can overcome a first-half failure. And we can see through to the victory. But you gotta, you got to know what you're focusing on. you got to answer your questions. I think I mentioned that last Sunday, right? I showed you the banners. How the Lord is answering our questions. I don't take that lightly. I'm just like... I can't believe you, God, you're so awesome to us. He's showing us who we are, why we do what we do, how we do what we do, and where we're going. But you know what? Do we know our what? What are we doing? If we don't know what we're doing, how do we know we're doing it? What is the purpose of Passion Church? What is our focus? Maybe you've got some ideas, maybe you know already. God's already dealing with me in my heart about it. I ain't even shared it to most of our leadership yet. But God's going to show us. We're going to know what we're doing. And that way we're going to be able to focus on it and we're going to be able to accomplish it. And then that knowing what we're doing is going to get us to the where we're going. That makes sense? Aren't you glad that you're going to a church that God has is, is, is got his hands in and, and is directing our steps and path? We're leading not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging him, giving him all the glory. I can promise you none of this was me. I'm just as surprised as you are. he didn't even tell me he was answering all the questions until all the banners were already printed and we, we went, you know, every banner we went through a season, a series or something God was answering that question and we didn't know it. And he told us to, you know, this is this is our vision, this is this, this is who, this. and then when when we saw him, then we were going oh, what he's doing is answering our questions. He will answer your questions. You may have never known why you're here, what you're supposed to do, but it's probably because you hadn't Ask God and you haven't you know effectual fervent prayer, you haven't really got turned to the wall and say, God, what do you want me to do? because I'm ready. aren't you ready to get some focus? Are you, do you like being scattered? Do you like just being mediocre? The whole world's mediocre. God's called us to something different. The second thing causes us to gain forward traction. Is invest in other people because you're not going to get very far by yourself. I always use the example, and you've probably heard me say this about kids. You have to teach them chores. I know that it's easier for you to just take out the garbage yourself than to get them knuckleheads to stop complaining. I would just rather do it myself. But in doing it yourself, you know what you're creating? You're creating a generation that you got men staying, living at home with their mama until they're 37. Now, if anybody in here is still at home and you're 30-something, I'm sorry, I don't mean anything by that, but I'm just saying it wasn't your fault. Then it was your parents' fault. Yes, that's what we must do: assign blame. But we must invest in our children. If we ever want them to be a blessing, they're supposed to be arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. They're supposed to be a blessing to our family. They're supposed to create momentum when they grow up and help our family. And so when you're old, you have somebody to help you out. It ain't run off, you know. (laughs) Still stealing out of your purse or whatever. Good night. What was that lady saying? I ain't doing it. Our church has got to, to create some momentum too. And the way we do that is we invest in every person. Every person here, you're valuable. You have a part to play. We're not putting anybody to the side, well, they're, they're just a pew sitter. There's no pew sitters in the Passion Church. If you want to be a part, we're going to be calling your name, calling your number, handing the ball off to you at some point. And, and, and it may start off small. You know, something, because you may not be ready. You may not ever know I was supposed to do something in church. You may think just getting here was what you were supposed to do. <clears throat> That's a start. That may be holding your own. But stop this backward slide, right? But there's great power in unity. In the book of Acts, when they were all in one accord, man, the place shook with the power of God. And man, it, it was the kind of church that we want to, a part of you know Moses was attacked by the Amalekites him and Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness and God told him what to do and Moses assigned his second in command Joshua to fight the battle he said I'm going up on the hill and I'm going to lift up the staff of God he lifted up that staff of God and as long as that staff of God was lifted up they would win the battle. Joshua would be down there whooping them silly, but Moses was old by this time. His arms getting kind of tired. Every now and then he had to get him a rest. But when he would let that staff down, when he would let his hands down, they would begin to lose the battle. So Aaron, his brother and her, they said we need to help Moses, and they ran up the hill and they set him on a rock and they lifted his hands up, and they made sure his hands stayed lifted up. I bet he wasn't using any of his own strength by the end. But Aaron and her were lifting him, his hands up. And that's how we do it. We lift each other up. If we can all help each other surrender to God, to lift, lift our hands and worship to God, true spiritual worship to God, we will win the battle because Joshua is a type shadow with Jesus. And he will win the battle if you'll just surrender. Amen. Gotta have a little help for my friends. Do I need somebody. <laughs> 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 Are we in church or what? What kind of pastor is this? <laughs> Number three. This one's gonna hit you right in the kisser. Grow some courage. Grow some courage. If you're going to gain positive momentum, you've got to grow some courage. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's what he's telling to you. You need to trust that he's going to be with you, he's going to give you the victory. How did Gideon go from hiding in the bottom of a wine press from the enemy to being a great deliverer, a warrior for the whole nation of Israel? You remember that story? The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he was hiding down in a wine press so that he, they couldn't see him threshing the wheat, and they wouldn't come and steal it from him. He said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, who you? are who, who you talking to? He said, you got the wrong guy. You, must, you meant the house next door? Because I'm like the littlest guy in all my family. And my family, we're the littlest... Family and all the tribe. Come to think of it, our tribe is the smallest tribe in all of Israel. He didn't say all this, but I'm just expounding. If you think about it, Israel is one of the smallest nations in the world. Who am I? I'm the littlest of little, and you call me a mighty man of valor? All he needed was to be convinced that God was on his side. Man, there's a lot of things happen. God, he threw out a fleece, and God... You know, showed him, and he he began to trust God little steps at a a time. Next thing you know, God's got him going up against, who do you have him, (coughs) the Midianites? A great army of the Midianites. I mean, thousands upon thousands, just overwhelming odds on the Midianite side. And God tells Gideon to call all the troops of Israel together, and he was able to muster 22,000. And Gideon was like, wow, they came when I called. So you begin to have influence if you just believe God, because there's so many people that don't. If you would just dare to believe, people would come to you for prayer. So he gets twenty-two thousand men, and Gideon's like, "If this can happen, I bl- we could whoop those Midianites, even though they probably had like I forget, like eighty-five thousand or something." But then God, <laughs> he's so funny. He said, Gideon, if I let you go to battle with these 22,000, you'd think it was you that won the victory. So he began to weed them down. By the time God got through weeding them down, Gideon's left with 300 men. Now, I can imagine Gideon's changed his tune about going up to, to war against the Midianites now. And God takes it even a step further. He said, I want you to take with you a torch, I want you to take a clay pot to put over the torch, and I want you to take a ram's horn, and I want you to surround the enemy. <laughs> how do you surround an enemy of 85,000 with 300 guys? I imagine Gideon wanted to say, well, God, how about I take my AK-47 <laughs> and my 9, and maybe I borrow like a grenade launcher, and we t- you give us a tank or something, then I could see this happening. But nope. You know, God gave Gideon the victory. He caused confusion in the camp. The enemy is nothing to God. It don't matter how many of them there is. There's more on our side in the spirit. And he caused confusion in the camp of the Midians. They begin to kill each other. And they won a great, overwhelming victory. How? By breaking that clay pot... I just now thought about this. I wonder if that clay pot represented the body of Christ. But breaking that clay pot and letting the light shine and then tooting God's horn about it. Giving God the glory. Boy, that's how winning's done. I'm telling you, the Bible is telling you and we're not seeing it. Victory is the Lord's. Our battle is between our ears and to get the courage between our ribcage to just believe that. Number four, as always, the key to every victory in your life is to follow the Lord, right? How did the Israelites defeat the walls of Jericho? They followed the ark of God's presence. They simply got in line and followed God. And God was like, man, if y'all ain't got nothing good to say, just don't say nothing at all. Just be quiet, you know, until you can work up a shout. So they walked around that city, and they learned to trust God for seven days. On that seventh day, they worked up a shout, and the walls came down. That's some good preaching. I don't care what you think. It, it just gives me confidence that God's in control. It's just about me trusting him. That's where my momentum comes from. So I'm out there stuck in the mud in the middle of a bean field, about 30 yards out there, spinning my tires. I can barely get the door open. I think I had to climb out the window. And I look around. I don't know if you've been to the Mississippi Delta much. There ain't a house within sight. I'm about five miles from my daddy's house. This is long for the days of cell phones. (laughs) And so with them big, big heavy, muddy boots, I start slopping my way to my daddy's house. I walk five miles. I get there after lunch sometime. I don't know what. Finally got there, wore out. My daddy said, what are you doing? I said, daddy, can you get your big four-wheel drive? We got in his big four-wheel drive. We went there. And he's parked, and he got out and looked and my truck way out in the middle of that bean field. He said, what in the name of corn on the cob is going on around right here? <laughs> what? How did you get way out there in that bean field? I said, well, Daddy, I, I'm just a two-wheel drive, you know. And so I was going to try to hit hit that water fast so I could get across all those mud holes and not get stuck. He said, how did that work out for you? He said, dummy, this is a gravel road. You could have coasted down this road. It's firm underneath. You let fear and ignorance Take you in the wrong direction where you truly got stuck. If you would have stayed on this straight and narrow, and my daddy tethered me to his four wheel drive and he pulled me back on the road, Ooh, it's much better driving than walking. See, that's, that's what we got to do. We got to stay on the road and we got to stay tethered to our Lord. That's how winning's done. Victory is for those who will set their face like flint. They will lean into the wind of adversity. They will keep moving forward with zeal. They will shout when it's time to get to victory. At all costs, they're going to keep their momentum going so they can do great and mighty things. They will prevail. You remember the scripture we started with, Isaiah 42, 13. Can you put that on the board? The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out. Yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. And if we're supposed to be molded into the image of his son, I thought, why don't we just put our name in that scripture begin to see ourselves like that? What if I said, God shall go forth like a mighty man? God shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. God shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. God shall prevail against his enemies. What if we put your name in there? Can you see that? Can you be that? You can see it. You ought to be able to be it. Let's do that. I'm going to read this scripture, and I want you to put your name Where it says, the Lord, the Lord shall go forth. Put your name there. Let's take off the thee. I'll say thee, but then you shall say your name. You going to do it with me? You know, that's a confession. It doesn't make it happen, but it begins to work in your heart. and Create faith for it to happen. So when I say thee, then you put your name there. Thee shall go forth like a mighty man. He or she shall serve, stir up zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud, I shall prevail against my enemies. Stand to your feet. You know, one of the things we do down at the jailhouse every now and then is we just let them guys shout it out. And you know what? How did they break down them walls? They shouted them out. They shouted for the victory. It's called a Shabbat praise. We usually just say one, two, three, hallelujah, long as loud as we can. And it'll break down some walls. If you have walls, if you have these things that are hindering your forward momentum in your life, why don't you shout them down right now? Do you think Joshua thought that those big fat walls of Jericho would just collapse because he shouted? But they did. So I think it's time for the Passion Church to shout. I got any shouters in here? Yeah. It, it, if I say one, two, three, and it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm going to close my Bible, and I'm going to walk back there to my office. You know you want it. You know you need it. You need more than mediocre, mediocrity. Mediocrity. Okra. You need more than okra. You need it. You need this. You might need to shout every day until you begin to see some forward momentum in your life. You need to shout. Cry aloud. Stir up your zeal. Do you want to prevail? One, two, three. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! pretty good, but I still heard myself over you. I want to hear you drown me out. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Woo. 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 Yeah. Be seated. Be seated if you can. How do I get you seated after that? Somebody want to stand, run, and jump or something? Be careful. I remember that time you jumped off them drums and started running around the sanctuary. I'll never forget that. He left us up there. (laughs) But it didn't take long. We was following you. Somebody had to do it first. Somebody had to stir themselves up in the things of God. It's usually somebody that will break that ice. And I don't know what you need in your life. We could do an altar call. We could have the prayer team come up here, and you could come up here and cry and wail. But you probably just needed that shout. You probably just needed to know that it's God who gives you the victory. Yeah. It's good to have somebody help hold your arms up. But it's good when you can just shout it out.